Welcome to another episode of the Dan Norton Show. Today, I am here with Austin Kipps. Did I say that right? Uh, it's Kippis. Kippis? Okay, Austin Kippis. So I uh, got in touch with Austin through Facebook. I have recently been posting invitations to have discussions or debates on various topics on Facebook. And Austin saw one of those and replied and was interested in having a conversation. So here we are doing it. And our topic is at least uh, gonna start on um, politics, capitalism, something in, in that sphere. And maybe it'll, it'll go elsewhere, we'll see, but at least that's where we're gonna start. So uh, before we get into that topic, let me just ask you, Austin, if you could just tell us a little about yourself. And, um, and after that, I'm interested in what your views are on politics. Yes, so um, I'm a grad student in a PhD program in philosophy um, at Binghamton University. Um, I have a background in history. I have a degree in history. So I've, I've uh, always been really interested in uh, especially modern recent history, um, imperialism, uh, things involving uh, the nature of the state. Um, and generally, I study uh, contemporary social and political philosophy. Um, as far as, um, yeah, so I, I guess I'd like to say in relation to that, um, I guess one of my concerns is um, the relationship between like theory and practice in politics and how to um, bring about, uh, I guess, a more, you know, how, how can you actually have progress? And that brings me to, I guess, one of the big problems which I see is uh, capitalism. Capitalism um, is a word which can apply to many things. Um, so, you know, there's the kind of uh, economics of capitalism, there's uh, culture related to capitalism, um, and so on. Uh, I guess I'll just say in terms of um, the, the, the historical aspect of it, um, I view capitalism as a system which, uh, at, at the base, revolves around a system of production um, of uh, wage laborers um, and, you know, um, a class of people who own uh, property, which, the, you know, people uh, go on to work for to make a living. And I view that in relation to certain like liberal principles of um, you know freedom equality and so on uh, I actually find it fascinating how capitalism has emerged alongside the liberal tradition with enlightenment values when like for example in that very uh, system of having workers um, who have you know who are under the control in that private enterprise of the boss um, it seems to me to be very, uh, you know, undemocratic because the workers don't have a say over um, the, 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 you know, what they make, how much it sells for, how much profit they would get for their wages and so on. Um, but I'm sure we could probably dispute uh, the nature that I've just described of that uh, um, enterprise. Okay, so you have a... a... So, so you're opposed to capitalism, at least now, um, because you don't think it's democratic or it doesn't 
the laborers aren't treated fairly. And uh, yeah, we can we can talk about some of that. Uh, I'm curious a little about your 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 intellectual history. Did you did you always hold this view of capitalism, or did you used to have a more favorable view of it, or or what? Yeah, I would I would say um, first. What one criticism would be the exploitative nature, I guess, and, and potentially uh, unjust nature of, of capitalism. But the other one is, um, I, I could as well talk about is the more ontological critique of capitalism that they're like internal contradictions. Um, so there, there are those two, I, I would say positions that, are, that I don't think one by itself um, would be a good enough critique of the system. But yeah, I originally, um, was in favor of capitalism uh, when I first uh, coming out of high school into college, um, but I was very distrustful of the state. Um, I very much embraced the principles that you learn growing up in, in the United States of you know freedom and um, the Declaration of Independence. You know, no taxation without representation, things like that. That when I got into undergraduate school, um, I started learning more about, um, I guess I would say, not the problem of markets, but the problem of the state being used by uh, more powerful um, capitalists. And that led me to then be very critical of capitalism because I know some people like to say, well, that's crony capitalism and they use the state to do that. But I find no period in the history of capitalism where um, the state hasn't been used by the benefit of um, a class of capitalists that have broken away and then use the state to um, make it more difficult for like small businesses to compete and then they just uh, you know, grab a greater share of the market. And so I, I quickly realized then, um, one, that capitalism was intimately connected with the state. And then two, I turned away as well from markets as a source of, um, uh, I guess, a source of grounding for society, because many things which I love, if they were, I think, run by market forces, um, would survive, like, or they wouldn't survive in the way I think they should, like education, for example. Okay. I think it is common that when people go to university, they move leftward, which I guess it's not very surprising because universities, I mean, the professors there, I think are far, far in the majority, they're on the political left and they oppose capitalism. So I don't think it's very surprising that a lot of students, um, once they're exposed to uh, academia, they, they make a move towards the left. Um, so, but you know, th that's, that's just kind of a sociological point. It's not really, so let's um, get into the more of the substance here. Um, so you said there were, you have an ontological sort of critique of capitalism where you think it has some kind of internal contradictions, but then there's, there's another, what, what, what was the other kind of critique? Um, the, the ethical critique of, um, you know, of, of, or I guess it would be an eth kind of an ethical political critique of, uh, workers, you know, not having, um, there's no democratic process in, in, in the workforce and that then workers are exploited. But I would just say that 
my experience is actually like I would distinguish the left left from liberal. I would say most professors are liberal, but I wouldn't say they're left because um, from my experience, at least um, I have had very few which um, I mean, I basically like studied Marx almost on my own. Um, so just from my experience, I don't um, yeah, I don't think they would uh, be anti-capitalists. Um, Okay, I think that might be an exception. Um, I certainly had to study Rand on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, she would almost never come up except in the form of a snide comment about her and, mm -hmm. and occasionally in a university classroom. Um, okay, so that was my, that, I'm sorry, that was my same experience with anarchism, which uh, really got me started in political philosophy. Um, it was never really taught, except I had this one professor that eventually got fired, but uh, I guess he was too, like, uh, he didn't conform to the university standards, but, um, so I've always, uh, I think there are fringes on the left, and if you wanted to say, like, the right, if Rand was more on the right, that don't get the representation that I think they, they uh, might should. Okay, so let's see. Um, should we start with the ethical critique or the ontological? Do you have a preference there? Um, I'll say uh, I, I like the ontological, uh, you know, slash historical, I think, uh, critique. Okay, so can you say a bit about what that critique is? Yeah, um, well, one, it would be that uh, capitalism is a historical phenomenon. It's not something natural. Um, you know, it emerges in, um, I don't have the exact, I want to say the, you know, really the, around the 1500s when you start getting, of course, uh, spice traders and things like that, when the Europeans start going around the world and you have people that uh, bet on, you know, whether ships are going to return or not. And if they return, they make a profit. And eventually this merchant class, right, starts to, um, gain enough wealth that they begin to threaten the power of no uh, of the nobility and you actually have then the movement of the, this merchant class um that uses the state to like expropriate land from workers like in england for example where it used to be the case that uh serfs uh could provide for their own subsistence because they could farm their own land and then once that had been expropriated by the state um, they were forced to go seek uh, wage labor, right? A, a means of subsistence, not subsistence itself. Um, and that kind of shifts the whole tide of then, uh, it's no longer the aristocracy that has political power, but it comes to be a new um, capitalist class. And so in that way, one problem I have with advocates of capitalism is to me, they seem to naturalize it or take it given because uh and they try to use certain values of like well like we could uh, we could take like john Locke for example right like oh i just used my labor to uh like plant the tree and so therefore all the things of the the, the fruit of the tree i own that uh property but i would say the problem with capitalism is uh just historically it it it's a historical phenomenon so there this that an entire society would be uh, would revolve around a system where a minority of people own uh, private property, which a majority of people need to work to make a living. Uh, that's something new. And so in that sense, um, before we get into whether or not ethically that's the best system, um, I think certainly 
historically, uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's something natural that when we try to say we want a better society than capitalism or to overcome it, it's not like we're, um, you know, someone like Burke might try to argue you're going against nature and, and anytime human beings try to construct a society, right, by going against human nature, it always um, uh, fails. I, I think that would be a bad uh, criticism to make against anti-capitalists. Okay, this is somewhat new to me, actually, uh, or not somewhat, but I, I don't recall hearing before this idea that capitalism is natural. And I mean, if you look at historically, I would think it, it maybe you'd think it's unnatural because it has so rarely existed. But maybe that view that it has rarely existed depends on what we mean by capitalism. So I, mm. um, I, I don't think pure capitalism has ever existed if that means a, a social system in which the government doesn't play any role except uh, for stopping the initiation of force by having like a police force or an army or a court system to settle disputes peacefully instead of by force. If it's just a government restricted to those very minimal functions and not doing anything else, I don't think that has ever existed. Uh, so, but there, there have been governments that have come more and less close to that. And I think in particular, the United States government uh, was founded on principles that very much uh, suggested this kind of minimal state that I just described. Uh, the, the major flaw in it was was slavery. Um, that was an inconsistency with the the spirit of the country, I think, and which I think that inconsistency had to be resolved eventually, and it was in the Civil War, and it became more consistent after that with the principles of of capitalism and freedom. Uh, but you know that wasn't until a few centuries ago yet there have been civilization has been around for millennia so if capitalism were natural and if that means that it's going to naturally spring up well i think the the historical record might suggest otherwise at least if we're understanding capitalism in the sense that that i described it so i'll, I'll just pause there and see what you have to say uh, well, I, I um, no, I, I would. You you equated capitalism uh, with freedom, or at least that they're associated. Uh, I would just like to hear uh, if you could say more about that um, first. Sure. Yeah. So the term "free" or "freedom" is going to be a contentious term in a discussion between uh, capitalists and socialists or Marxists. I don't know if you consider yourself one of those or in the ballpark of one of those, but. Uh, I know the term is used differently, um, so I think it's good to to call attention to that and see if we can come to some kind of agreements on that, or at least make it clear that that's where the disagreement fundamentally lies. Um, so the way I understand freedom, meaning political freedom, there are just different senses of the term free, but uh, in the political sense of freedom, I mean by that the absence of the initiation of physical force. So to give a simple example, uh, if a mugger comes up to you on the street and threatens you, you know, with a gun and says, give me your wallet, 
he's, he's using force, or at least the threat of force, uh, to get something from you. So in that case, he would be interfering with your freedom. Uh, if, however, an advertiser puts up a billboard and says, hey, buy my product, it's a great product, I don't think that's an infringement of your freedom. You're, you're not being physically coerced to buy his product. You're being presented with an opportunity, which you have the free, free will, to use freedom in a different sense, to accept or reject. So I don't think advertising is coercive, though I think some you know, people on the other, in other places on the political uh, spectrum would say that that's coercion and uh, taking away people's freedom. I don't think it is. So, so uh, basically my understanding of freedom is it's the absence of the initiation of physical force. Um, yes, uh, typically, uh, I know people refer to like the non-aggression principle. Um, I guess, um, I mean, to try to, there are a few points I uh, want to respond with, but I guess to, to try to just focus on one, um, I'm unsure, I'm really trying like, okay, um, I, we probably disagree about whether or not there's free will, but uh, I'll still go down uh, this path somewhat because I'm unsure how one could think that um, you can have a consumer who can, you know, rationally choose what is like the best product for them to buy when an entire industry of advertising exists precisely to just persuade someone. Um, it, you know, playing into uh, all sorts of emotions, playing into dispositions that might have, uh, you know, appeal to one society in a given culture when someone grows up in it and might not work in another society or given culture. I mean, I'm reminded of like, you know, in, uh, in, in, in Plato's Republic, um, I think he recognizes pretty well, um, I don't think we have to say poetry is bad, um, but I think he recognizes pretty well the role in the formation of, um, you know, is he called the soul of someone or, or just the, the entire kind of makeup of someone's, um, uh, their dispositions, their habits, and so on. That there are all sorts of forces that, especially unconsciously, um, play a role in one's life in the formation of, of what they believe and what they're likely to do, such that I'm just not sure that, uh, but that one could say that a society can exist where like the individual is entirely separated from uh, culture, the influence of culture, uh, that an individual is entirely separated from even just the possibilities of like uh, uh, what they might want to pursue because in one society um, it just might not, like you might not even have the means to pursue um, a job in philosophy, being a professor or, or otherwise, right? So and, and that might play into then what they might think the good life is in a way that in another context, someone else uh, would never even have the chance to think about like, well, that is the kind of life I would like to live because you don't have the kind of um, structure there that enables that. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that quite um, applies to what you were talking about. But. I do think there is influence that can happen as a result of the environment or culture that you're exposed to that you're raised in but i would still want to draw a distinction between influence and coercion so 
uh, I think people can s still, they're, they're not, I mean, there's only, there's only one option when you're coerced, assuming that you don't have more power than the coercer. Um, you have to go along with, with what he says. So if the mugger comes up to me with the gun, I'm basically at his mercy. I mean, I can, I can try to fight him, but um, if he's got the gun, he's, he's got the power, really. He, he determines what I'm going to do. But when an advertiser puts up that billboard, I don't have to buy his product. And many times, I don't buy his product. And I don't think this is anything unique to me. Maybe, maybe I will be persuaded. Maybe I'll be more likely to buy his product than if he hadn't put up the billboard. Um, but I still have that choice. And I might even be thankful to him for presenting this opportunity to me, which I might not otherwise have known about. Whereas I'm not thankful to the mugger who just wants to take stuff from me. He's not offering me anything um, in return for my money. He just wants my money. At least the advertiser is trying to make a trade out of it and is appealing somehow to my cognitive faculties instead of just um, using brute force. So yes, there are influences, but I think the influences are very importantly different in the case of the, the influence, if we want to even call that, of a mugger, where it basically leaves you no choice or alternative and is using coercion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so would you say then, so in the case of the mugger, right, you said that like, you don't really have a choice because it would be um, death, right, that you're presented with, with the alternative if you don't do uh, what the mugger says. Uh, is that right? Death or maybe just injury. <clears throat> right. Um, but yeah, you suffer some kind of disvalue. Right. So wh what would you say then about if we look at, for example, uh, the so if you take, uh, if, you, if you say that in capitalism, there is a class of property owning people and then there's a class of people who have to work for uh, a wage in order to survive. Um, we know that that class of people, the wage laborers, the workers, they, not all of them can become the boss. They can't all become the owner of uh, businesses because you need some people that then do the work, that get paid to do what the boss um, you know, isn't going to do because they're managing or, or they just have, you know, um, the, that property in their name. So that would seem then, well, one could say yes, but you could, you know, choose just not to go work for someone else, right? You can leave society or something like that. Because it seems like in capitalism, there are only that choice of you either become a worker or you become a boss. But we know uh, it's impossible for that actually to apply to everyone, that only a few people can become the boss. And it would seem the alternative then is either um, death by refusing to then uh, be a wage laborer, uh, or you would have to leave in so society entirely, I guess, and go be a hermit. So why would that not be an example of like social coercion? Well, uh, so if you've got the choice, to to live one sort of life. I mean, you could be uh, you could revert to the level of being a hunter gatherer, I suppose. At at one extreme, basically go back to living like an animal. Um, 
or you could try to take advantage of the civilization that you were born into where people no longer have to just be hunter-gatherers uh, and expose themselves to all the kind of dangers and risks involved in that. And you can have a steady, reliable income to, to live on. And I think if you compare that to the hunter-gatherer sort of alternative, you're better off. And, and maybe you should be thankful uh, and not resentful to the employer who, who allows you to live that kind of better off life than you would be able to live on your own. And uh, you know, maybe you can work your way up. And I think it does often happen. Maybe you start at a, at a very uh, low paying job, uh, but you can increase your, your station in life over time, earn better salary, get uh, better wages. So uh, I think there, I, I don't see coercion. I think I see opportunity in, in the sorts of uh, uh, jobs that business owners offer. They're, they're making your life better than it otherwise would be if you had to survive on your own. So I, I, don't, I don't see coercion there. I, I, I would take issue with the idea that they provide you opportunity, which would be better than if you had to live on your own, because I don't think, um, I don't think we're actually like individuals that can break away from society. I think that the very fact that we are thrown into the society that we grow up in, where it just seems obvious that we um, just play by the rules of the system that exists, uh, I think points to the reality that um, we're not free as like uh, atomized individuals that, that can just freely choose to do whatever we want, but that there are necessarily pressures on us and there are pressures which we can say are uh, more egalitarian or more even democratic and there are ones which are not. And so the problem I have with capitalism and why I think it's socially coercive is you don't really, I don't think I, so I, I would agree capitalism has, of course, raised the standard uh, of living. It's definitely better than uh, feudalism. Um, no doubt it also brought with it uh, political democracy, but political democracy, although um, whether or not that's necessary in capitalism works best in democracy, I think China uh, begs to differ. Um, just if you look at just... Uh, one, uh, economic growth, and two, the rise in the standard of living for um, the Chinese, it would seem that actually capitalism uh, would favor um, a uh, anti-democratic political structure. But that aside, um, I'm just unsure then, I, I, don't, I don't see how uh, the idea that you must sell yourself and take on a role of someone else, I must like, if I have to make a living being a server, right? I have to put on the role of, hi, welcome to, you know, Cheddar's Casual Cafe. Like, you know, I am now this representative. And someone might say, well, yes, but if you don't like that, you can go do another job. Okay, I go do another job. But again, I have to kind of play a role that uh, is provided to, uh, for me by someone else. And if I don't like any of those roles, you might say again, yes, but you can start your own business. But 
not everyone can because the very fact of starting your own business typically to survive in the capitalist economy requires workers, which means you can't do that without um, other people succumbing to that same position you're trying to run away from. And in that way, again, that's where I see that like, there's no, the, the dream or the hope that you can rise above it. Uh, the fact that it can't work for everyone uh, to me shows that it's uh, socially coercive. Okay. I don't see why you can't start your own business. And I don't think you even need employees to work for you. You could be a one person business. And you, I don't, I mean, uh, you might not make much. So maybe part of the issue here is what is your standard of living going to be? So you could have a business that allows you to become a billionaire or you could have a business that allows you to, you know, eat ramen noodles. And I think it's much more manageable to do the latter. I mean, I think a lot of people can, can start a business that allows them to survive and at some, some kind of standard of living. They're not necessarily gonna be, you know, living in a penthouse and uh, driving a luxury car, but, you know, you can go sell taquitos on the on the street corner, or or whatever, and try to sh support yourself that way. And you don't need any employees to do that. Um, so you have the choice, I, I think, uh, to live that kind of very modest sort of life where you're in business for yourself. If you don't like any of the jobs that employers are offering to you, and you think you could do better. On your own, I think there is a way to do that. Um, I just don't. I'm not sure that I buy that. Uh, that's a real alternative that people would choose to, you know, if they survive only on, you know, ramen. Like, I guess you can survive. It's not very nutritious. You're probably going to have health problems uh, later on. Um, but even like, if we take. Um, an example, uh, a contemporary example of say Amazon. Um, if I want to sell some kind of a product, um, I need a market. It's gonna be difficult for me to just like stand on, on the side of the street and get enough people to buy my product. Amazon uh, ends up, of course, having access to, um, you know, I don't know, at least a billion consumers, I would think, you know. Um, if that's the case, right, then I'm much more likely to survive. My business is much more likely to survive if I use Amazon as the middle person. The problem though with Amazon is they effectively are the market because they have the greatest access to consumers. If you then don't end up selling through Amazon, you're gonna find it very difficult to stay in business because uh, through access to more consumers, you can sell more product and therefore lower the price of your product. So on the one hand, you then seem to be almost required to like sell through Amazon to stay in business. But Amazon also, because they're the only person, they can then make demand, uh, they're, they're the, they're, they have a de facto, I wouldn't say that they don't have a real monopoly, but they have a de facto monopoly. Such that when you have to sell through Amazon, um, you have to, raise your prices to the rate they want you to raise it to to sell on their platform and if you don't then you get blacklisted 
And what they do is they then sell their own products at a cheaper rate by forcing you to sell at a higher rate. Or sometimes like they reverse engineer your own product to then sell theirs at a cheaper rate than your own. So you end up going out of business anyways. Okay. So you're, <clears throat> so Amazon is, uh, ma makes it impossible for you to, to run your own business or to escape using them as a, a middle man of some sort, if you are going to run your business. Um, okay. May maybe for, for certain businesses, uh, certain kinds of businesses, you're, you're not going to succeed if you don't use Amazon. I'm not, I'm not seeing though that that, implies any kind of coercion i mean they're they're offering you an amazing opportunity i would think to use their platform and reach those billions of people which you would have no no hope of reaching just on your own so uh, i mean what about that side of it? i mean I'm is it good yeah i mean you're, you're definitely right uh they do and this is the kind of uh this is the, the um, I guess you could say, the double aspect of capitalism. Because again, um, there is this opportunity where capitalism provides you this, uh, with this innovation in Amazon, this ability to sell to more consumers. <laughs> On the other hand, because Amazon is so successful, because they've become the de facto marketplace for online selling, um, you, to then get onto their, uh, to be able to sell in their marketplace, you have to uh, bend to their uh, demands for maybe uh, how much you have to sell your product for. And again, you can choose not to do that, but that means you're more likely to go out of business. So with the logic then of your business, uh, which is to make uh, typically in capitalism, right, the, the most amount of profit um, uh, you can, you're then forced to sell through Amazon. I'm not comfortable with that term forced. Uh, I mean, in a sense, you're, you're always, well, here's a question. Are you always forced? Like say I want to, um, I don't know. I, I want to, I want to buy something that's, uh, only 7-Eleven carries. Does that mean now I, I'm I'm forced to buy from from 7-Eleven, uh, or should I look at it as they have the opportunity? They've given me this opportunity which I can't find anywhere else. Why look at it as they're forcing me rather than they're giving me an opportunity that no one else is? Uh, there's other sorts of examples like that. Um, I guess any, any, anyone that only has one, one of a kind product. And I guess if you get fine grained enough in your analysis of something, uh, there's always going to be only one of a kind of something. Uh, my, like for example, burritos, I could get burritos from the grocery store. I could go to Taco Bell. Um, I could go to a Mexican restaurants, 
well, let's say I want burritos that are prepared by a certain chef who only works at this one restaurant. Um, now, am I, is it right to say I'm forced to go to that restaurant because that's the only place that allows me to have burritos made by that chef? Um, or is it that I have the opportunity to get burritos made by that chef by going to this restaurant? So I think there's a, different ways you could look at it and I'm not sure why it's right to, or if it's right to say you're being forced just because something offers the only opportunity that's out there. I think with the examples you gave, I would not say that um, there's anything forced or, or coerced um, in that. Only it, it would be for, or you would be forced if that product you need to buy is necessary for your survival. And we can think of this two ways. One, in the case I'm trying to talk about as a business owner, it would be for the survival of your business. Um, if to survive, uh, for, if for your business to survive, you need to buy the product, then I would see it as problematic that there's only one uh, carrier of that product, which then can, of course, charge as much as they would like. Um, and in a way, choose who stays in business and who doesn't. And then in the case of um, a person, it would be the same thing for me. Um, again, going back to survival, uh, subsistence. If, if the source of your subsistence comes from um, only, you know, if, if there's only, we'll say one store, right, that sells you food and that's it, right? I would say you're forced um, to buy from them because the alternative would be death unless you want to leave society again and then i would say this is an example of social coercion uh moving to the bigger picture because in the same way the source of your subsistence comes from the capitalist class so there's no escaping um working uh for a capitalist uh, to survive in capitalism as a worker that's why i would say again it, it comes to uh, it comes back to survival that's when i would say it's coerced Okay, uh, so maybe we, we should talk about what exactly survival means then, because uh, it seems like there, there might be something off about saying, you know, we're, you can't survive without this Amazon business um, or without using Amazon. What, what what do you mean by survive? Does that mean just, you know, you're somehow in existence? You're living at a certain wage level? Or, or, or what does that mean exactly? Such that you would want to distinguish between the sorts of examples I gave and say, well, uh, like the, so, so, so you, um, I guess the idea is you couldn't survive without the Amazon business, but you could survive without getting those special burritos. So therefore you're not being forced in the burrito case, but you are being forced in the Amazon case. Um, so I guess I would, I would, I don't see that you can't survive without the the Amazon business. I mean, there there's so many ways you could 
you could make a living. You could be, you know, a ditch digger. You could go rake people's lawns and survive in some sense. Uh, so why do you say that you couldn't survive without the Amazon business and therefore it's force? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the sense of survival, uh, in one way, I think it's, um, I guess I would say, um, physiological in the sense of like, if I'm just <laughs> going to give like a, like an orthodox Marxist argument as to why the um, working class is um, coerced by the uh, capitalist class, because again, um, but before we get to the business owner example, because in that case, um, you cannot survive in a capitalist society um, without, as a worker, uh, without you know working, um, selling your labor to a member of the capitalist class. Um, in that, so I think in, in like literally you, you would starve, right? I mean, that's why like d during the Great Depression, I mean, just when people didn't find uh, work from capitalists, right? And they starved, um, one could say, I guess like, well, you could go find some land that you could work and like grow uh, food or otherwise, right? To still survive. Um, but one problem is there's not really any just, uh, there's no commons, right, anymore, uh, where one could just go on the land and work it to survive. And we can look back on history, which shows us there is no commons anymore precisely because it undermines the desire for the capitalist class to have a working class. Because if you can just go um, onto the commons, right, and cut down a tree for firewood, or you can go have a little plot of land where you grow some tomatoes or whatever else, right? Um, you're less likely uh, in need of working for um, someone else, whereas if there is no commons where you can do that, well, it seems like your only alternative to live in society is to then go um, and sell your labor. So in that, in that way, I would say that's where, in, in the case of survival. Um, without getting into, I guess, the, the case of like the business owner and the survival of the business. Okay. I'm not sure if I just danced around the, <laughs> the question, but. Uh, I'm not sure, but we can talk about what you just said and then maybe um, we'll come back to the earlier point I had asked uh, about why it's force in the Amazon case, but not in the special burrito case um, or like can't you survive without the um, Amazon job because aren't there other ways you can make a living such as ditch digging or raking somebody's leaves um, why do you need that particular job with Amazon in order to survive I don't I don't see that you do maybe you are, could... you, are you referring to the business owner uh, having a seller there or just as a, a worker for Amazon uh, just whatever you had in mind when you said that in the, in the Amazon case, um, yeah, I, I was just talking about a business owner who has to sell their product on Amazon's, um, like platform. Right. So the idea was that, um, since that business owner can't sell that his particular product, 
um, successfully at least, without using Amazon. Therefore, he's forced to use Amazon. And I wanted to know, well, why is he forced? Whereas you wouldn't say, I'm forced to go to this particular restaurant that has this particular chef. And then I think your answer was, well, because in the case of Amazon, uh, he can't survive. But then I want to know, well, why do you say he can't survive? Can't he do other things than sell that particular product? Can't he go mm -hmm. work somewhere else and do something different? Right. In, in that case, I meant just survive as that business. So if I had, um, I don't know, Austin's, Austin's wallets, I sold wallets. Um, I'm saying that that business, Austin's wallets, uh, would not, uh, or seemingly, because this typically uh, is the case, could not survive without selling through Amazon precisely because um, the access to consumers is too low that then either the price of my wallets then would have to be too high uh, such that other people would just buy from other people who sell wallets for cheaper. Um, or I just, because I, I don't have access to enough consumers, I just couldn't make enough to actually just live. Um, and so I would have to do something else than sell those wallets. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's infinite numbers of businesses that can't survive because they can't compete. I mean, if I want to uh, make money as a basketball player, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I can't compete with LeBron James and, you know, people at his level. Um, so am I then forced to do something else? Does that mean I'm being coerced? No, I think it just means, you know, I should find another market where, where uh, my skills are, they have more market value. So I, I don't think the fact that you can't have this particular business that you might want to do, um, unless you go to a certain platform means you're, you're being coerced. I think that just means you have to, you have to look elsewhere um, for opportunities. I mean, I don't think you have a, like anyone owes you a certain opportunity and if they don't give it to you, then you're being coerced. Um, I think it's, it's up to you to find opportunities that, you know, match with your skill set. And uh, I guess it would be maybe coercive to, as I understand the term, to force others to give you opportunities just because you want them. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't see that there's an issue of survival at stake. I mean, sure, you might be, not be able to survive in a particular way selling Austin's wallets without using Amazon, but there's many other ways you could survive. There are, but I, I see the, the, the connection I'm trying to make, I see um, as relating to just business in general and the tendency of monopolization in, um, in capitalism and the problems that, that um, brings about, especially in relation to, um, I'm, I, I know these connections, I guess, are uh, kind of loose, but I'm trying to draw these connections between um, what it takes for someone to try and make it as a business in relation to then 
what it takes for someone to just subsist uh, in a capitalist society and how in each of those cases, it seems like there is a, um, a minority of people, um, although in the case of the worker, it's not really people, it's a, it's a class, that's still a minority of people in that class, um, that then control the ability, right? They, they, they don't give you subsistence because you can't live forever. They just give you means. And so you have to keep going back and using them. And in that way, I guess uh, I, I see it as coercion, but I, I understand um, your argument for why that's not and as to why you can have opportunity. And this is, again, this is the thing about capitalism where I would much rather be um, a, a worker uh, or just anyone else in a capitalist society than I would in feudalism because I can't, I can't leave the land, right? If I'm, a, if I'm a, a serf, I'm tied to the land. As where, again, in capitalism, I do have the opportunity to go and uh, if I don't want to be a server at a restaurant, which I personally, I've been a server, I don't like it, I hate it. Um, I can go do something else, right? Um, there, there are different job opportunities I can take. And I even might have the slight chance of succeeding as a business owner. But I think that that's, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say it's false uh, opportunity as I would say it is uh, limited opportunity. Because again, I think, and this could bring it, me to like an argument about um, being alienated from like the, the product one produces as a worker and then why the business place is not uh, democratic. Um, I guess those are some of the reasons why I still uh, would disagree. Okay. Uh, not exactly sure what point you're disagreeing with right there. But I, I, I would just say that the opportunity, I think, is um, okay. Well, let me, I guess I'll try to quickly paint a picture of like. Uh, what I would think opportunity, I guess, would be if I'm saying, you know, I, I think this is a limited opportunity. Um, one would be where I know you said nobody owes you something. I would slightly disagree in that I think um, we as human beings um, necessarily come into contact with each other and we have social relations, I think, are natural um, precisely because. We rely on each other. Uh, we work um, through uh, mutual aid, I think, um, such that if I grow up in a given society, uh, like we're say the United States, uh, like right now, um, I think I would be owed um, a certain standard of education because to survive in that society, it's demanded that you have a certain level of education. Um, in, in that case, I would say then, well, we shouldn't allow only uh, the wealthy to get the best education. We should open up opportunity for all who seek the education, regardless of their income, to get that education. So, for example, all higher education should be um, free at the point of service. So it should be um, socially paid for. I'm sure you probably would think, well, that would be uh, an example of coercion if everybody um, would have to contribute to making that uh, possible. But I don't know. I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth. But that would be an example of a greater, um, a greater idea of opportunity than what capitalism gives because I think it, it says you, like, you don't have to 
only do what your class uh, enables you to do in that case. Okay. So uh, you get more opportunity if you if you have this uh, non or anti-capitalist system. You're saying because you might not able be able to get education, for instance, in a capitalist system. Whereas you would if it were paid for um, by maybe a socialist system. So doesn't that provide you with more opportunity? Uh, maybe in some sense, but you know, it's, I think it's also, it's taking away opportunities. Like every, everyone who is, is uh, paying for this education, who's being forced to pay for it, who wouldn't you know, have voluntarily um, paid for it, all the opportunities that they had to spend their money on other things are gone now. And you know, every social program does this, all the money that is taxed away from people into social security or Medicare, or Medicaid, and all the other things that tax dollars go to. There's lots and lots of opportunities that are being lost and that's kind of the unseen cost. You see, what happens, but you don't see what doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> there's uh, something called the, is it the broken window fallacy where, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that idea from economics, but yes. yeah, so all kinds of uh, harm that uh, is in the form of things that don't happen that would have happened if you had the opportunity to uh, spend your money in different ways. So, I mean, there's always, you can always point to benefits um, and opportunities that stealing people's stuff makes possible. I mean, look at all the opportunity that the mugger now has who took my wallet that he didn't have if he didn't take my wallet. Yeah, and look at the opportunities that I no longer have because he's taken my stuff. So I, I don't think it's, um, it's enough to just point to the benefits without also looking at the costs of these programs. Mm -hmm. um, I would, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, I can respond with two, two points. Um, one would be, I think what I'm um, trying to get at in the case of education is, I think uh, like the, the system of education in, in the United States, higher education in the United States, to me runs the risk of perpetuating a kind of uh, aristocratic system where, um, yes, there's such a thing as um, <laughs> the government provides student loans to, to those who could, who otherwise could not afford to get a higher education, but in return, they have to take on a lot of debt. And that debt um, is going to follow them throughout their life. You know, not everyone's going to be able to pay off the debt um, easily. And that, of course, is going to uh, impact in a lot of ways um, what they do, whether like there's a problem with uh, the millennial generation where they're not buying as many houses because they have a lot of student loan debt and that's negatively impacting the economy or uh, you could say well yes but then they don't they can just choose to not go into debt to get that higher education or they could go to a uh, a college where uh, you know it costs less the problem with that i would say though is one if, if they then just don't take out the loan and so they don't go to school um, the rich person who probably is coming from a family who already had like a really good higher education, um, they're going to get to go then to that better school. 
and then get a higher education. And then that means they're going to bring up their kids with an economic um, foundation to where they, their kids can then do the same thing. And then the person we might say, well, yes, but the person who could go to the school that's less expensive, okay, but they would be getting a degree at a school which might be less prestigious or it just might not be as good, which again then allows the rich person to, um, not because necessarily they, they are more qualified, but because they could just afford it to get the better education, which then again puts them in probably a greater, uh, more likelihood of um, being the one that's, uh, you know, has kids that it, again, then gets that higher education and gets the more powerful roles in society. And so I would say, I don't think it's, it, it's forcing people to pay for something where they could have done something else. And so it takes away opportunity because I think the poor person, um, they're actually uh, name, I would say for the, the, the poor person. And that's why, to the second point, I would ask you then, since you mentioned like uh, Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security, um, you know, well, why do you think programs like that came about? And I would say, um, like Social Security, for example, uh, was implemented because of social pressure, where there were enough people that um, just when they got old enough, they 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 could not uh, afford to survive. You know, they got too old to work. Um, and they didn't have enough money to, to live on, so uh, they became a burden for society. Other people had to spend more money to take care of their parents that they could have been spending um, on other things, such that it would seem then that it's not exactly like society paying for like Social Security or something like that, that this is opportunity taken away from others. But it seems like this would, is something that is de desired by people to give them kind of a, a, a basic... I hate the word safety net, but uh, a basic like you know a floor to, to to stand on where they're not gonna you know uh, fall into the dirt. Yeah, I think it is desired by some people, but uh, maybe by people who you know want to live as parasites off of other people rather than being responsible for themselves and supporting themselves. Um, people who don't want to take personal responsibility. Maybe there are, I, I don't doubt there are many people like that, but I don't think it's right that uh, people who don't want to take responsibility uh, get to survive as parasites or leeches off of people who do. Now, maybe not everyone has that mentality. Uh, maybe there are some people who, um, a very tall, small minority, I think, who can't take care of themselves um, maybe people with Down syndrome, or they have some really bad handicap, and uh, they're just, it's not that they're unwilling to support themselves, it's that they're really not able. But I think this is a tiny, tiny percentage of people, um, I'm guessing uh, well under 1%, and I think that that very small minority uh, of people is just going to have to rely on charity and they i think that's the morally right thing for the people in that position to do um is to rely on the goodwill of other people and not you know hold a gun to the head of the people who are supporting them and say you know i i demand you that you that you pay for my life because i can't support myself no i think they they should be um they can seek out voluntary help and uh, i think that's the morally right thing to do um, 
I forgot how I, I got into this uh, now. Well, can I ask you a question uh, yeah. to that? Um, why would you not want to, um, instead of relying on like charity, right? Of, of like relying on um, people giving money to like homeless people, right? Um, to try to get them um, uh, you know, out of homelessness. Uh, why wouldn't you want to just end the reality of, for example, homelessness uh, altogether, such that then it, it just it wouldn't be like a moral um, problem anymore. It would cease to even exist that someone would think about homelessness. I have nothing against uh, getting rid of homelessness, provided it's done by a certain means. So, what I what I oppose is me being forced at the point of a gun to give money to homeless people. And that's how we end the homeless problem. Uh, rather, what I would like to see is um, these people uh, be able to take care of themselves and not have to rely on help. So I think one way that this could be done is repeal minimum wage laws, abolish them. Don't set a wage at, you know, a, a wage floor at $15 an hour or, or whatever that's going to prevent a lot of these people who might have very low skills. Maybe all they can do is very basic manual labor, raking leaves or something that just isn't worth that much on the marketplace, but they could pay for their own lives. They could eat ramen noodles. They could survive if they were allowed to get these very low paying jobs, but minimum wage laws would prevent that. So I think that's one way that I would endorse of addressing a problem like homelessness free up the market um i i just i don't think that that does in the problem because it, again it rely if it has to rely on goodwill then you always run the risk of um that problem uh coming back there's no way where you could um actually have it uh, cease to end but in the case well, I, don't, I don't think it has to rely on goodwill i mean i think okay my, my i suspect that the a large number of homeless people i would think at least in the united states um didn't have to be homeless i mean at least you know uh i don't think it's it's um it's easy it's an easy position to end up in i i suspect it takes in the typical case years of um bad decisions and then you, you end up on the streets, but I don't think it's a hard thing to avoid. Now, I think it becomes harder with certain government policies that are put in place, uh, like minimum wage. I think it, it might be harder to dig yourself out of a hole um, if you end up on the street for, as a result of making many, many bad decisions across many years. Um, but at least in the vast majority of cases, I don't think people need goodwill. I think. I think people can do it on their own. I've just, and I, I, I think the way I understand um, the, I think disconnect between our, our um, between our perspectives here, I think that that's run throughout um, this entire uh, conversation. To me, I think stems from, um, and you can, Correct me, of course, you can state your own uh, position better, but I, I think it seems to be a difference between conceiving of um, individuals in society as individuals, innately uh, individuals, as well. I think that 
the individual is a product of society. And I don't think that means that society, you know, can just undermine the individual, but I think we are thrown into a world where we don't, you know, um, we're not given like a, um, we don't have free will to just choose whatever it is we want, but some people are given, in, you know, thrown into certain situations that they, they grow up in that, that choose um, or that narrow the possibilities or, or make greater opportunities for them and, and, and so on such that um, to try to link this back, back to what you said about minimum wage, well, I would say, yes, uh, the reason why there's a minimum wage, why there are labor laws and things like that is precisely because of social pressure, because we, we know what it was like uh, prior to um, labor laws, prior to um, uh, minimum wage and other, other things like that, where um, workers, you know, at, at, at the worst point, they were working six days a week, um, 16 hours a day. And they weren't getting a lot in return for um, their work. And it took serious effort on behalf of workers to pressure um, those private business owners to give them greater work standards, to pay them more, um, and to pressure the government to pass laws, right, to ensure that that, um, that, that happens. And I would say that's, I don't, I don't see where that, as a case, would be a case of like the the workers unfairly, um, you know, coercing the um, private owner to raise their standards or pay them more, because if the worker, um, I, I just don't see that because I don't see society as just individuals do whatever they want and who cares what the consequences are. Hopefully, you know, they're good. I see it as society exists for the, the, the well-being of all individuals. Uh, that's, I think that's why there is a society. And again, I'm sure you would agree, and that's why you think that there should be as much opportunity and no you know, like state interference. I just don't see that that produces those results that you want or that you think would happen, which is precisely why I think through history, there has been that social pressure from labor movements and, and things like that. Yeah, so there, I mean, there, there has been some social pressure in, in that direction of, you know, creating things like minimum wage. Um, but there's also social pressures in the opposite direction, which I'm trying to push on. <laughs> so we, we are applying social pressures in opposite directions insofar as we're, you know, engaged in activism. Um, because we have different views of um, what is the right role for, for the government to play. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't deny that there are social pressures that have led to the, the, the laws that we currently have, but I don't think that's um, reason to just accept them, given my view of um, human nature and ethics and what makes for a good political society. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't take the, I guess I, I don't see the, um, I, I'm not sure what point is, is being made by pointing out that there are social pressures for a certain position. Um, so what, what does that establish? 
there, I mean, there are social pressures for the opposing position too. Do you mean in favor of capital interests or? Um... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we just take um, like minimum wage to use that example. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not sure what, it, what it's meant to establish that there are at some, some time in some societies there have been social pressures pushing for something like a minimum wage. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see this as some evidence for um, the argument that um, a, a, well, well, okay, one, I, I think it's just not like the government just like trying to um, uh, like be authoritarian. Um, I think too that um, this demonstrates that um, workers have a, a much greater role in making possible our society than I think they're given credit for. Um, and which is why I think they, and I know you would disagree. I, I think you would not say that, you know, a worker is like a, you know, it, it's, it's less dignified than, um, I don't know, maybe like a, a capitalist or whatever, if they, if they're happy doing that and, you know, it, it serves their interests. Um, but I find that typically workers are, are looked, um, they are looked down on. And I think that it stems from a way in which you view society as individualistic and where society is kind of a um, negative influence on the individual. And I think that um, society should exist uh, for the betterment of all people. And that doesn't mean an, an equal outcome where everyone like has the same amount of money or whatever, but it means you actually do have the same amount of opportunities um, for everyone. Um, and in that way, I see labor movements and social pressure, like I tried to describe, as being evidence of how this is, I think, deeply woven in then the interests of society and why it exists in the first place, which is um, which is for um, the community. It, it is, I think, um, I think we're better off. Um, with even if you might say it's coercion when they they demand that a boss pays them more and then it becomes law that the boss must pay them more i say like well i guess that's you know i would say that's necessary coercion because if people need these workers to make these products then i think they should get you know um they should have a decent standard of living if that product is necessary uh, for society they should get paid their fair share. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that uh, that phrase, though. But yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not sure how you determine what the fair share is. Um, I agree. We could go on here, but I I know you said you you had about an hour. Um, do you want to mm -hmm. wrap it up now, or or, or what? Um, yeah, we we could probably wrap it up. Um, I would just. I, I, I do want to say that um, this is where I think it definitely gets problematic in a, a um, certain reading of socialism or Marxism, um, which was, tries to like 
determine what wage like workers should make that would then be justified according to the relationship between like the the product and the owner and so on um i think that stems just from a problem of of wages in itself and that's why i think i don't even know if it's possible but that's why i would think that a wageless uh society such that maybe someone like peter kropotkin the famous anarcho-communist um advocated i think that would solve these problems i don't know how you bring that about whether it's feasible but um i do think that notion of a fair share what is fair i, I definitely think that's that's um problematic but in the context of the logic of the capitalist system i don't think it's problematic it's just like an um abstract concept in itself um so yeah that's the point i wanted to make yeah i i tend to think that uh it's not fair to force people so if it involves mm -hmm. forcing people I, I doubt that it's a fair fair wage um but anyways, um, do you any last words before we call this to an end? Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I I uh, no, I I enjoyed this. I think, um, I think there is uh, maybe a a a big movement and like a political awakening in in the United States, for example. That is, um, I think these. A kind of um, these two different perspectives, I think, are really um, coming. Um, I don't want to say coming into conflict with each other, but I think um, more and more um, the United States is turning less away from a kind of like a political neutralism, and it's really starting to consider, you know, what ideology do we want um, to live by? And so I think um, I think we've discussed what I think. Uh, those, those that problem is yeah i think uh, there might be a kind of increase in political consciousness over the years like i think i hear capitalism versus socialism is an issue which uh 10 or 20 years ago i don't think uh i wasn't really aware of it much but it seems mm -hmm. to have become more of a popular thing to talk about so maybe that's a sign that people are more more so now considering these kinds of issues Mm -hmm. Which I think is, I guess that's good. I think there's yeah. important issues to should be considered. I agree. But we can, we're doing our part of that, so that's good. <laughs> we're doing our fair share. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thanks for doing this, Austin. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.